All right, welcome into another edition of the Fezzik Focus Pod. It is Wednesday, February 23rd. I guess we'll have to start dating these now that we can't go by an NFL week. It's it's the post-NBA All-Star Game spectacular Fezzik Focus Pod. So yes. That sounds good, right? I just like the date. I'm a math guy. I think when you say spectacular, though, people go, oh, oh, we should listen. I heard yesterday was like the most like spectacular. Mackenzie, maybe you can research this. That February what was yesterday's date, February twentieth, two thousand twenty-two. It was two twenty-two twenty-two. So not only was it the same forwards and backwards, but you could actually turn it upside down and it reads the same thing on a digital clock. Yeah, unbelievable. I guess you could. Uh, well, what we're going to do today is we're going to break down the USFL draft. Uh, we're I'm gonna, ready. We're going to talk about Paxton Lynch and the effect that he can have on uh, the Michigan Panthers. Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait. I I didn't get the memos on these. <laughs> oh, oh I, then maybe we won't. Let's start with a Fez tale as we are wont to do. Let's talk a casino carnival game, three-card poker. So it's one of those crazy games that the house has a, a huge edge in and you couldn't possibly win. There were actually, for years, three-card poker pros, all right? So basically, the game, you get dealt three cards, the dealer gets dealt three cards, and you can choose to play or fold. And basic strategy is you if your three cards total a queen, a six, and a four, or better, you're supposed to play, and you have a little over 3% disadvantage. So no one in the world would play this game. <laughs> but... Well, people would play, but but as documented in James Grossjean's book, Beyond Counting, which will run you $1,000 if you can find it on eBay, which talks about Ooh. ways to beat such games as the Big Six Wheel, that big wheel of fortune they spent, three-card poker, etc. He has all kinds of neat little ways to garner advantage against sloppy casinos. And in three-card poker, if you can see one of the dealer's cards, if he flashes it, the player actually has a 3% advantage because think about this. If the dealer flashes you a baby card, a small card, the dealer only plays if he has a queen. See, so you win automatically if he doesn't have queen high. So if you see like the dealer has a 10, for instance, now you, you're not going to play queen 6-4. You're going to play any garbage you have. You play a 2-4-5 because if the dealer doesn't have a queen, he's going to fold. So the player gets a 3% advantage. And guess what? It's such a carnival game. They really didn't watch it very closely. And some dealers were sloppy that when they took their three cards out of the slot, they would turn to the left or turn to the right doing a direct flash of their bottom hole card to the player on first base or all the way on the other side of the table. So very effective play that um, three percentage is pretty darn good for um, those who were in the know when this game first came out for years. That was a, that was a great uh, advantage play. And what happens if you are uh, like, what happens if you, I mean, is, is this a guarantee that you can see these cards? I mean, obviously no. not. So, you, so have to, you, have you just, there's only, and usually there's one card, one table per casino of three card poker, right? Right. right. So what happens is you got to find a dealer that's just doing it almost every time, you know, that's just taking the the cards out of the slot instead of protecting it, just sliding it out to the left or right. So you so you can see it almost a hundred percent of the time. And then you, you every now and then it's it's funny when you fold like so if you see the dealer as an ace if you have an ace you're always playing but if you had like an ace five two you know you're dead so you got to fold your ace you got to make sure when you fold they don't flip your cards over like what are you what are you doing you're folding an ace <laughs> what that's a really strong hand so just something that people were doing um, this is like 
15 years ago. And, you know, and, and I'm sure it still exists out there. You have, a, uh, you have a copy of said book? I do. I gave RJ my second copy. So oh, we both wow. have a copy. You certainly, you, you certainly can, yeah, borrow I could, it. I could take a look at it. All right, yeah, I'll take it. Some ugly math in terms of the gross gene is a consummate professional and would often appear in the blackjack ball, the annual event that they would have New Year's Eve for blackjack players, which somehow I finished third in one year, despite not being, I wouldn't be even on top 100 rank in terms of blackjack competence. So um, quite an upset there. It shows why the college football playoffs should be expanded. If I could make the blackjack ball playoffs, um, then BYU can win it all. BYU cannot win it all. Hmm. Uh, piggy bank slots. Yeah, so piggy banks were fun. For a while, what they did is they had a little mini jackpot that would grow. All right, it's a big bang, bit little bang on the piggy bank slot. So what, people would walk around and it wouldn't display. So you had to hit a button and then it would show what the mini jackpot was. So people would walk around casinos just going through banks of piggy bank slots hitting buttons and hoping that someone had abandoned a piggy bank slot machine with 35 or more credits in it. And then they'd play it, to, which wouldn't take long until they hit the, um, the little mini jackpot that had been accumulated by some sucker tourists that had built up the piggy bank mini jackpot. Well, there you go. So there's always an, there's always an edge. And Fez will help you. Or that expensive book will help you find it. Uh, but th- nobody else is going to help you find it. I saw, and I knew you were going to say this. I, and a, I don't, I don't think it's wise to bet the NBA All Star Game. I think it's a, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, a silly game that they, that no one takes seriously. If no one's taking it seriously, or if there's different levels of how seriously it's being taken, it feels like that's something that's really hard to handicap. Strongly disagree. Okay. Well, the hardest thing to handicap is when both. Fucking teams are trying their hardest, and they've all bought, and you've got a good power rating on both teams, and no one can win, and all the lines are right. Okay, that's... the way to win is week eighteen in the NFL when one team doesn't care anymore, and another team cares like crazy, and lines are moving like crazy, and there's you want it's it's like Wall Street, you want volatility, but you can gauge like that one team is going to give max effort because they need to. This team's not going to give max effort because their dream's been crushed in the All Star game. You have no idea what, like how interested someone is. like you could uh, you, can't, you can't tell me Steph Curry gave no effort in that game. Odds makers have no idea either. That's the beauty of it. And <laughs> so, and the, vol- the bold, a bottom line is volatility creates profitability. And we saw that in the total on the All-Star game. So, more often than not, what happens in an All-Star game, you, like you said carnival game, big joke. No one takes it seriously in terms of the biggest betters, the limits are lower. Total opens 2:30. Excuse me, 3:30. Goes up to, excuse me, 320. 320 goes up to 325. All right. And it's not like a sharp move, like you blink and it all happened right. in 10 minutes. It's literally going it's up. It's everybody wanted to bet the over. So yeah, they just money kept pouring. hours, in. it goes up half a point. So, and it gets up to 323 the morning of, of the game day. And then it goes up to 325 and a half and then closes at 325. So some sharp money and some 324 and a half. Some sharp money at the very end, fading the public. And then it lands 323. And, of course, I like to talk about examples like this because it really shows you cannot lose that game. You cannot lose when an all-star total middles, and it's a predictable, good story, obvious story. Of course, the public was going to bet the over. If you bet bet it early, you bet the over. You win. If you bet it late, you bet the under. You win. And yet— the public doesn't win, and it's just—it's—it's it's another example of 
Um, I'm not saying every All-Star game is going to middle and it's that easy, but in case of this game, you absolutely, if you bet the All-Star game and you're paying attention, you have to win when that happens. Two years in a row. Two years in a row, over-betters, under-betters, if they're sharp, they won. It was three, it landed 320 last year, right, McKenzie? And the total, what, what did the total close last year? Close 320, 320 and a half's out there, open 312, so very similar oh. move. So how many points is the line where you say, okay, this has gone too far. I can't touch this anymore. Well, two points is a middle. Okay. So if, if you're just evaluating middles, if you can get an over uh, 321 and an under 324, that's three points to a middle. I know it sounds like, well, that total this high, that can't be worthwhile. Well, it, it is because think about it. It's not going to land 270. And it's not going to land 400. I mean, you'd inter- and it is a, um, a bell-shaped curve. Um, and certainly having that 24 rule in the fourth quarter helps um, reduce a lot of the variance, too, because now you've got a, right. a shorter quarter you know, um, that's happening in the fourth quarter. So in general, it's a pretty skinny middle with a total that high. Um, but at two points, it's profitable. And here was a case where, it act, like I said, you should have had no problem getting a 322 and a 335 and a half. So there was a three and a half point medal. So is this, and I'll ask both of you this, because you guys both follow the NBA pretty closely. It, it, the the new setup, or I say the new, now the, the setup now of the NBA All-Star game, is it going to lead to a lot of close games at the end? So if we're getting more than a possession on the, the line, is there value now? I don't see any reason that's going to lead to a closer game. And by the way, I apologize. I was wrong last podcast. I I kind of threw out, hey, midway through the fourth quarter, you want to play under. Well, with the Kobe, you know, first to 24 from their the, the leading team score at the end of the third quarter, that obviously was not valid. So um, that was bad advice. And it, 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 didn't, um, it didn't not make anybody any money, though. Someone tweeted me, hey, well, it's the middle of the third quarter. It seems like it's getting more intense. I'm going to play the under, and, and they won with it. So they used your strategy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too chagrined about it. Yeah, so the strategy is probably as proper to play under right, you know, with like four minutes, the last media timeout in the third quarter, four minutes left in the third quarter, whenever that is, around there to go ahead and play under. But uh, when you think about the over-under for the fourth quarter, well, the team that's ahead should, needs 24 to win. The team that's behind could take the lead. So what's the over-under in the fourth quarter? It probably... Um, the team that's behind should be favored by half. Maybe it should be 48 and a half, something, 49, something like that. I disagree with your first point. I do think with the Elam ending, we're going to see one possession games more often than usual, not every time. So just do the history real quick. First time they implement it, it's a two-point game, buzzer beater or whatever that is. Second game last year, 14-point game, not close, didn't factor in. Last year, buzzer beater. So 67% of the time, obviously, short sample size. And I think it has to do with motivation. At the end of the game, Steph Curry was taking crazy 40-footers to try to end it. LeBron was taking crazy footers to end it. And the team that didn't have that wiggle room caught up at the end. I don't think that was a coincidence. I think we'll see that again. Yeah, it seemed like maybe the team that was down cared a lot more in the fourth quarter than the team that was up. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, until it, until it was one possession. And Why then would that like, not right. be the case in every game, though? Because there's a time limit. There's no, there's no like, if I'm, mm-hmm. I don't need two points to win, I need five minutes to win. So I'm just, it's kind of... It changes strategy. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, a team isn't going to work the clock. They're going to go down. They're going to try and get a score. But that should help the team that's ahead. Working the clock is bad. In a regular game, it would. If it was an Elam NBA regular season game, I would agree with you. In the All-Star game, my motivation to hit the game-winning shot, I'm not going to run up and take a dunk 
with no defense, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll I'm going to do some crazy shit. I'll say this. I, I, <laughs> I really think the one and the two teams are going to be less likely to win by one or two because any team, you know, that's three away from, you know, the, um, the winning score is probably going to start just shooting threes every possession more often than not, right? Yes, I would agree with that. All right, let's look at some – let's start with some overvalued teams in the NBA. Who are we looking at as overvalued in the NBA right now? All right, so what I did is I am not going to be qualified to go through these teams and their and the player personnel. I'm, I'm still doing my research in the NBA, so I'm keeping this simple. I looked at it in terms of, well, who's schedule-wise, who has gotten the most um, home games and who has gotten the most away games so far. So, my goodness – Orlando, ooh, don't know if I want to bet them, but they they're minus eight. They've had twenty six home games and thirty four away games, so ooh. that's a pretty um, that's minus eight's pretty high. Miami minus seven. Miami's only had twenty six home games. Denver minus six. So when I say minus, they've been screwed to date by the schedule. Now their home games are coming. Um, and Houston minus six. So, so it sounds like all the worst teams, the Magic, the Rock. These are bad, bad teams. These are bad teams that you're going to make. Miami. You're going to make so, people bet on now. So more impressive that Miami <laughs> has has done as well as they've done, and Denver. So, so Orlando and Houston, maybe you don't want to play them because these bad teams oftentimes get even worse in the final two months of the season. But maybe consider Miami and Denver overvalued. Now, teams that have gotten the best of it, Golden State plus seven in terms of more home games, Portland plus five. So Portland would be an example of a team that's probably going to go in the toilet now, and they've had a favorable home schedule. So that's a team you might want to look to play against. So let's take a look at this because we've got here the remaining strength of schedule uh, up on, on the screen. So let's take a look at some of these teams that have that we're thinking have some some luck coming their way you said the heat the magic and the rockets right yes so the the rockets still have the 11th toughest schedule remaining which maybe they've got some luck coming their way, but that doesn't seem like a good thing if you're a really bad team like the Rockets are. Miami's 16, that's about neutral. Where, where are the Magic on? Oh, they are 21 on this list. So they've got the... So wait, tw- strength of schedule, so is that easy, 21? 21st easiest schedule remaining for the Magic. Okay, so Milwaukee has... So they have a hard schedule. Milwaukee has the toughest remaining schedule. And look at who's number two, Fez. So Milwaukee is the hardest. So yes. Don't say 21st easiest. That confuses me. So okay. 20, 21st hardest. Yes. my Milwaukee, number one, has the toughest remaining schedule. Then Chicago, Lakers, New York, and Utah? Am yes. Correct? Correct. Yeah. Golden State, seventh toughest okay. schedule. All right, so Golden State is kind of a match in, in that they have, have had lots of home games and now they have a tough schedule. I like that. Where's Phoenix fall on this? I'm curious, since they are, are going to have to be playing a little differently down the stretch. 25th, and there's Portland with the what is the second easiest schedule remaining is yeah. Portland. Oh, Mackenzie, go ahead and read the five easiest, uh, from one to five, the easiest uh, remaining schedules teams. Indiana Pacers have the easiest remaining schedule, followed by the Blazers, then the Grizzlies, then the Washington Wizards, then the Atlanta Hawks. Very good. Oh, yeah, this is awesome because this segues. I've got a second group of teams that over or undervalued based upon their their record versus their um, point per game differential. Okay. Now, Mackenzie, I don't know how much. Let's uh, figure this out. Let's let's make it right. Let's make the sausage. Let's uh, let's right. see who so, the most overrated, who the most underrated okay, is going so, for. So I don't know how many like how many games you're supposed to win based upon your point differential exactly. Like in the NFL, 35 points is worth a win. I don't know what it is in the NBA, but I'll tell you this. Chicago is 38 and 21. All right. And 
They're only two plus 2.2 in terms of their point per game. That is almost impossible to only be outscoring your opponents by two and win a, a surplus of seven. Yeah, that does seems that seems odd. And now Chicago has the second hardest strength of schedule. So that is a complete match in terms of looking to fade that team. Um and maybe we'll talk about McKenzie. Have these numbers ready for the podcast because I think this will be an excellent discussion. Now, by contrast, there have been two teams that have been incredibly unlucky. Indiana has been outscored by 2.6 points per game. They're 20 and 40. How is that possible that you're, you know, you're competitive, you know, in terms of your points per game and you're only winning a third of the games? And uh, the Spurs, this is amazing. They're 23 and 36. They've outscored their opponents. How is that possible? That that is an odd anomaly. So Mackenzie, can you look up um, strength of schedule? Where are those three teams? So Chicago has the second hardest. Where's the, the, Indiana? And Indiana's the got the easiest remaining schedule. So Indiana has the easiest remaining schedule, and they're undervalued based upon their records. So that would be a team um, that you know should be undervalued. And where's San Antonio? Fall? Right in the middle. He's they're fifteenth. Fifteenth San Antonio. So when you say you know Indiana's maybe undervalued. Are they, because of the way their season's gone so far, like you would expect, oh, well, they'll play better down the stretch. But once you're 20 and 40, the, That's a good point. the motivation maybe, to maybe play better is is less. And I'm reluctant to bet on any bad team. And let me just clarify again, the strength of schedule, this is the remaining strength of schedule, the rest of the year, correct? Yes. 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 Um, so because of that, um, I think it's a good point that any team that's like, has a winning percentage of 33% or less. My basic strategy this time of year is bet against them or pass. And and I think we, um, you know, people talk about Tankapalooza a few years ago where literally none of these teams were able to win, you know, in the last, you know, five weeks of the season. I, the Spurs may be interesting because they're a team that's two games out of a uh, a play-in spot. Mm -hmm. So they're the 11 seed in the West right now. So you, I, I don't think this, and the Spurs aren't a team that you really like Greg Popovich isn't going to stand for not playing hard. You know, he like, that's a guy who's going to have his team go out there and play hard every game. Absolutely. So the Spurs may be a team that you look at to play on for the rest of the season, because they've actually still got something to play for. Maybe a little bit undervalued based on their points uh, points differential over the course of the season. So that that would be an interesting look to me. Yes, and you know I always like Popovich and his progressive stuff. The fact he hired Becky Hammond at you know a fairly high level position, mm -hmm. you know, with the Spurs. You know, is Becky Hammond still with the team? No, or she uh, is now no. coaching uh, a. Our team, uh, uh, yeah, the uh, Las the, Vegas Aces. The Aces, and I, I always thought the world of, of Becky Hammond. I, I think know. what happened is they said you need some head coaching experience, and so she said, "Okay, I'm going to go get some head coaching experience." I, I still think Becky Hammond will coach in the NBA. And and you know she's like the poster child of what you want in terms of her playing career, where she's a five seven guard for Colorado State and basically overachieved. You know, became an all star. With the San Antonio, this you know the, the Silver Stars, and just um, you know a hell of a lot about Becky Hammond's playing career. She's this is one of the great WNBA handicappers of all time. It's documented. She's easy on the eyes, also. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. That has nothing to do with it, though. Obviously. Uh, if Liz Hurley coached a team, I would probably You'd pay would, attention. Fair <laughs> enough. Probably would like what, get season tickets. Fair enough. All right, let's look <laughs> at some NFL, and let's start with. I wanted. I've I've pitched this to RJ a couple times. I kind of want to go through the new coaches and and discuss the new coaches and maybe rank the new coaches. But you you put something interesting. Forget about that. Let's look at 
the coaches who are leaving and what kind of an impact they'll have. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about who the new coaches and how good they're going to be because I have no idea. I mean, I can tell you the retreads, um, you know, that have coached before the Dennis Allens of the world. Um, Josh McDaniels. Yeah, um, Lovey Smith. This we know. Miami had a good coach in Flores. Minnesota had a good coach in Zimmer. And New Orleans had a really good coach in Sean Payton. So I almost like, I want to look at the Delta. I don't know how good the new coaches are going to be, but in terms of, if I got a team like Houston, their coach can't get any worse, probably. It'd probably be about the same, you know, worst case scenario. But here's a case, I'd be shocked if Miami, Minnesota, or New Orleans suddenly had an upgrade in coach. They've got downgrades because they're, they're, they're losing a solid coach, you know, and because of that, immediately I've got trepidation about betting on either one of those three teams. Now, do you, it, when you look at the Raiders, when you look at Josh McDaniels, do you look at they're replacing John Gruden or Rich Bisaccia? Bisaccia. No. Okay, and so I don't know how good Bisaccia is. It's such a short sample. So I would just throw that in to say it's certain by all accounts, he did a, you know, a great job. And and not so much with um, with Gruden, so you know, you'd say probably a slightly below average coach for the Raiders. The cumulative last. So let's look at the other side of that coin. We know that Urban Meyer was a bad NFL head coach. We know that Joe Judge was a disastrous NFL head coach. Is there just an assumption? Well, I mean, Doug Peterson's got skins on the wall. But is there an assumption that Doug Peterson and Brian Dayball are automatically upgrades, even even if they're in the middle of what their range could be? They're an instant upgrade. Right. It's almost like we're playing poker, right? And and, and, and we've we've got a horrible hand. We throw all five cards away. We're getting five new cards. It can't be any worse. Exactly. That's Joe Judge and and Urban Meyer at this point. So, you know, that it's something to look at. And then maybe, you know, it's funny, the Bears – with Nagy, there are a lot of people who who still think Nagy is a good coach. Put him in the, you know, put him slightly below average. Yeah, I I think that the the big question for the Bears and the reason why I didn't like the Bears hire is that they hired a defensive guy when their entire future hinges on Justin Fields becoming a good player. Uh, I thought that was interesting, and then I really believe this. You can tell me if you think I'm wrong. The Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett because it increased their chances of getting Aaron Rodgers by 5%. Oh, that, that's interesting. Um, boy, that wasn't a very good game plan they had against San Francisco in the playoffs, did was it? No. Yes. But, but it, it does feel like that was that's, – that's the upside of it, is if Nathaniel Hackett's an average coach, okay, no upgrade from, from what you had. I tell you this, um, we're a copycat league, and certainly the takeaway from the Super Bowl is, oh, the Rams got a new quarterback that's mm-hmm. a top 10 quarterback. The Bengals have a fairly recent new quarterback. He's a top 10 quarterback, and they both played in the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, hmm, light bulb. Boy, we can go to the Super Bowl if we can just get a top 10 quarterback. And that means Brady, Rodgers, and Watson, right? Uh, and Russell Wilson, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I think he's he's in the discussions of whether or not he'll be there absolutely. next year. And there, you know, I don't know if you consider him top ten. Oh, absolutely. But no, I'm talking about uh, Kyler Murray because Kyler Murray's name's no, been no, no. his name's been kicked around to someone who may want a new landing spot. Yeah, he's been kicked around, all right. Yeah, I I'd pass on that one. But I said yesterday on the show, I think I'd pass on Aaron Rodgers at this point. I blocked Kyler Murray from my Twitter. Kyler account. Murray blocked me from his Twitter. Mm. Look at us. He actually did. Oh yeah. Well. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, that, uh, that's almost like an achievement. You know? uh, is it? 
Yes. At one point, I was blocked by three starting NFL quarterbacks. You're and, big. and I'm not a person who like who mentions them in in my tweet. I don't I don't at people. Like I I just talk about you know player. I, like if someone at someone, then that's that's on them. I didn't at anyone, and I was blocked by Big Ben, who's since unblocked me. And and I think Big Ben was like a he was a mass blocker. Anybody who ever said anything that wasn't nice about Big mm-hmm. Ben got blocked. And then I, when he found the Jesus, he unblocked everybody. And then Kyler Murray blocked me, still blocked. And Deshaun Watson blocked me, still blocked. So um, you can be hypercritical of all these people and their performance, yet you're fine going to, like, you know, um, Texas barbecues and having eight lamb chops along yeah. with everything else. Yeah, that's mm. all right. Huh. How, well, what would you put down at that uh, Texas Day Brazil? You know, it's interesting. I think about 44,000 calories. Okay. And I was very, I was, but it was very. Did you eat any sides? So I had the mashed potatoes. Yeah, I don't do that. I, I, I got the lobster bisque, but it, there, it was like the bottom. So, like, all there the was lobster, no lobster. All the lobster had been had long since scraped out of there. So yeah. I, I passed on that. The salad bar, the prosciutto was fantastic, but I'm good because I always like, I'll, I'll take like every single thing they bring by, but then I'll cut a piece of mine and give it to my son. Like, like, so because we want to have something of everything. So I want to sample everything. And so I'm, I'm really only having a half portion of a lot of the things. Although the flank steak was shockingly good. It's like the best beef jerky, you know, spicy in the world. Here's what I don't get when they come by. I don't get chicken. Oh, I get the, the bacon the wrap bacon chicken. chicken. Really, yeah. No. No. No, listen. You, that's, a, that's a negative EV play by you. You're, you're paying for beef prices is what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. What's more expensive, a pound of beef or a pound of chicken? Pound of beef. Of course it is. What's more expensive, a pound of beef or a pound of pork? But what if um, I like the bacon wrapped chicken more than any of the other entrees? More than the beef? If if I had to, do, then if, you're going to the wrong place. You need to find a bacon wrapped chicken place. It's not going to charge that, you beef that's prices. That's an excellent point. That is an excellent point. So, but can you um, recommend one of these bacon wrapped? I don't places? know because I can't find them. I don't mess with that. The only meat that I'll eat besides beef is lamb, and why? Because it's even more expensive. Exactly, than beef, I believe. You and I did it. have I did have the leg of lamb. I had the lamb chop, and I had the other lamb, and I don't even know what part. I didn't want to ask. That was. The do lamb. you like? Uh, do you put? Uh, you're from Ohio. I don't know if you do this. Do you put mint, mint jelly? jelly? My mom used to always make it, yes. Okay. And yeah. she'd have like the little bone marrow thing on every one of the lambs, mm. and it was oh, it yeah. actually tasted good. I, I, I would, oh, I would yeah. scoop into the marrow. Oh, yes. I don't even know what that, like that's the spine. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Good for you. All right, let's get into <laughs> NFL schedules. All right. So we've got a, a, an interesting situation here. There's three good divisions, the Wests and the AFC North. Okay, and there's three bad divisions: uh, the South, and Especially the without Brady now, and the sure. NFC North. Okay, all right. So it turns out who got screwed. Um, I'm looking at it. Why is the NFC North considered worse than the AFC East? Because I'm assuming Rodgers might not come back. Okay, all and right. if that's the case, it suddenly becomes Cupcake City. Got it. Um, which is you know uh, a little bit leap of faith. Where, where's the NFC East rank? Ah, uh, fifth. Okay, got him fifth. Um, so the, both the Easts are kind of in the middle. Okay. But the, uh, so the NFC South, ooh, not good. So the NFC South has to play the NFC West. That's the best division. Yeah. And they got to play the AFC North, which is probably the third best That's division. a good division, yeah. So that's a good, so, so, so the NFC South is up against, in fact. So we're looking at win total unders. Yes. And the AFC South 
they got problems also. They got to play the AFC West, very difficult. Yep. And they have to play the NFC East, which is not easy. Okay. All right. Um, if the Giants, because I think the Giants are going to be a lot better, and Washington will be capable, and Philly is is emerging. You yeah. know, I th- there's a boy. There's a lot of. Uh... I think there's a lot of question marks about the NFC East in general. All of those teams, it feels like low ceilings or uh, lo- low fl- low floors, high ceilings. I low floors. Like, are you sure Dallas is good? Yeah, Dallas is good. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure. Their um their coach isn't good. The team that's isn't that's good. the problem. I, their coach isn't good, and they've got an injury prone quarterback. I don't know. Now, have you seen the opening NFC East odds? No. Well, let's guess. Let's guess. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. So Dallas versus the field, I'm not sure. I would say Dallas, off the top of my head, minus 135. I would say it's longer than that. I'd, I'd go minus 150. Then I'll go Philly, uh, probably 250. Washington, um, 4-1, to one, Giants 6-1. to one. Okay, I was going to go Philly a little shorter, Washington a little longer. What do we got, Mackenzie? You mean shorter, like three, like a higher number? I, I, like he said, plus what? Plus two fifty for the Eagles. Yeah, I, I, I bet the Eagles are two hundred, hmm. and I would say the 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 football t- or the Commanders. I'm, boy, that's going to take some getting used Washington. to. Washington, they're full. They're Washington. Okay, the Washington <laughs> team of sports. I'll go plus four fifty, and I'll go. Uh, I'll, I'll. I agree. Plus six hundred sounds about right for the Giants. Guys, a light on the Giants. Ten to one payout. Ooh. Ooh. I think if I combined all your numbers, you'd be pretty accurate. Anyway, here are all the numbers. Cowboys minus 165, Eagles plus 350, Washington 5-1, to one, Giants 10-1. to one. Eagles look like the value play. Maybe so. Not that there is any value. Although the, Gi- the Giants also look like a value play. Standard caveat. I spent game. all of five seconds evaluating those numbers, so right. don't go. Don't please don't go out and bet them. As you've mentioned, season wins is is you know it wicks your wets your beak a little bit more. Uh, I make all my bets on season wins. Pursuant to season wins, both of the North divisions catch a break because they don't have to play any of the three tough divisions. Okay. All right, so that's um, and you know if you look at the uh, the who do, they, and, who do they have? Who's the AFC North have? The AFC East and the NFC South. NFC South's bad. Yeah. And the NFC North gets the NFC East and the AFC East, so they both get average. Um, though those are those are average. So it's really the AFC North that gets the biggest break. So if you're selected, and they get nine home games. So if you're looking to play any of those, if you're bullish on any of those teams, the one problem is their own division is very difficult. Yeah, and, you know? and so, it's very uh, there, there's a, again like, like there's a lot of like the NFC East. I think there's a lot of fluidity. Like you can make an argument, maybe not the Steelers. They get a quarterback. If they get a quarterback, if they if they get a veteran quarter, if they get a veteran quarterback, I could see it. They tr- could get Watson. Is Watson a veteran quarterback? Yeah. Oh, okay. of course. Yeah, that changes everything. How old but, is he? Uh, I mean, he's the, he was in the same draft class as Mahomes. Mm-hmm. So and he still has you blocked. Still has me blocked. Mm-hmm. Twenty six yeah. years old. Yes. All right. Yeah, but Deshaun Watson is certainly it, that changes everything if 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 Pittsburgh ends up getting him. So, but as they're built now, I mean, but you could say the same thing about Tampa. If Tampa gets Deshaun Watson, suddenly the the NFC South isn't a cakewalk anymore. Sure. Uh, so it's all of these are subject to some big splash move. At the same time, if Deshaun Watson says, I'm playing for the Texans next year, I think the AFC South suddenly gets a little bit better. So uh, lots of caveats on on quarterbacks. But as they're constructed right now, I think the Steelers are the one team in the AFC North that I would say 
no chance of of winning the, the, that division. But the Browns, Bengals, Ravens, I think depending on health any given year, you, you could shake them up in a bag right. and, yeah, it's you're, you pull one out. I agree with that. All right. That is going to do it for another Fezzik Focus pod. Fezzik always bringing the knowledge. Hope you guys are enjoying this. Hope you guys are learning stuff because I certainly am every time I get in here. We'll be back this evening with the in this same feed with the uh, the dream preview tonight. And uh, obviously, you, you need to subscribe because we've got the golf pod. We've got college basketball. We've got McKenzie's NBA pod where he's killing it. So uh, get on board and tell your friends about it, guys. But we appreciate you guys listening. Fez, thanks to you. McKenzie, thanks to you. We will talk to you next week.